In October of 2021, uh, there is a development organization uh, called Persimmon Homes. And uh, if you're in real estate, you may have heard of them. They're one of the UK's biggest developers. And they constructed 262 new homes in Colchester, England. At this point, because of this new development, they'd already posted about 64% profit increase for that year, this is 2021, which equated to about 480.1 million pounds. For those of you who are not in the British system, that's equivalent to about 600 and a quarter million dollars just for that year, because they had pre-sold through many of those homes that they were building. Now the problem was that the workmen had built an entire block of one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedroom homes with the windows and the doors and the balconies backwards. In other words, facing the wrong side of the house. In other words, if you were to come outside of your house and stand in the backyard, this is what it looks like when you walk up to their yard, the back of the house. The front door, the balcony, and everything was in the back of the house. And so uh, the or they were ordered by the city to flip around all every single one of these homes. So that means that they wasted an inordinate amount of time, money, energy, because they were building in the wrong direction. And I want to submit to you that that can happen to us in our spiritual lives, in following Jesus. That as a follower of Jesus, as a member of the family of Christ, we need to be thinking about what am I building with my God-given gifts, my service, my resources, and my life? And like these homes, am I building in the wrong direction? If you have a Bible, you'll want to turn in it to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you are new here, uh, we have a Bible under every other chair in front of you. And uh, those Bibles are free. That's your Bible to take home. Those are the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't own a Bible, uh, take that one home with you. But we're in this series called Clear, where we're studying in a world of confusion and conflict to see life through the countercultural lens of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And that the Apostle Paul writes to this kind of cool, hip, urban church in the city of Corinth to remind them, instead of being blinded by the values of this world, to see clearly through your identity in Christ, that as you are loved and forgiven and transformed through the cross, that Jesus is guiding us to grow in holiness and unity together, that the church will be distinct from the world around us. And then Paul shows us how to practically apply that through areas like sin, conflict, sex, relationships. And so we saw in chapters 8 through 10 that in following Jesus together as a church, the point was whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God and for the good of others. But the problem that we're discovering in chapters 11 through 14 is that the Corinthians aren't glorifying God when they're worshiping together, that in fact they're experiencing all kinds of discord and disorder as they gather together for worship as a church. And so today, we're going to see how can the Corinthians use their God-given gifts to build their church in the right direction together when they're in the midst of bickering over these very exact gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so let's talk, stop right there for a minute. Paul is continuing to talk about spiritual gifts. We've seen that from chapters 12 all the way through 14. And you need to understand, if you're joining us for the first time, spiritual gifts, they're not natural talents and skills, but they're God-given, God-empowered abilities from the Holy Spirit to build each other up in knowing and worshiping Jesus. And so in verse 1, when he talks about us wanting to pursue this grace-filled love of Christ, earnestly pursue love, this love for one another that we saw in chapter 13, that that is the priority, and that when we're seeking God-given gifts from God, that we want the kind that love each other that are most contributing to the spiritual health and growth of other people. And he says specifically, like the gift of prophecy over the gift of tongues. Now, the question you need to be asking yourself, well, what's the difference between those two? Because they're both speaking types of gifts from God. And so the gift of tongues, for those who are unfamiliar, is the Holy Spirit-inspired ability to speak in a language that is not known by the speaker. And so we see that in different forms. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, that the uh, disciples are able to speak a foreign language that they had never been trained in and preach to people of various different nations. But what we're talking about particularly for the Corinthians is they are particularly concerned with the way that the gift of tongues manifests in the language of angels we saw in chapter 13, verse 1, which they're kind of parading around as if having this spiritual gift gives me a superior level of spiritual at spirituality because of its supernatural appearance. So either way, though, the issue in verse 2, he says, is when you exercise this gift, you're not really speaking to the people, but with God, that you're speaking in this unintelligible language to humans, at least it's unintelligible, because you're speaking through the Holy Spirit. But prophecy, he says in verse 3, is the spiritual gift, this ability to proclaim revelation from God, application of his word to build people up, to encourage those who are in a season of celebration, to console those who are in a season of devastation. That when we do that, verse 4 through 5, Paul says, I'm not putting down the spiritual gift of tongues. I wish that all of you had this gift but I'm going to prioritize prophecy for the Corinthians. And the question is, why? Because the gift of tongues only builds yourself up in connection with God, unless there's someone with the gift of interpretation for the church. While prophecy builds up the entire church, that, which is the point of deploying spiritual gifts. So when someone stands up here and gives you a word from God and the application of God's word, that that blesses everyone, not just the person who's using that gift. And so the big idea of this entire passage this morning is that we are to serve God within the church by using our spiritual gifts to lovingly build up others in the body of Christ, not just ourselves. And we talk about this because remember in the beginning when we talked about those homes by uh, persimmon homes and the way that they're building backwards and and uh, we need to understand that the goal of our spiritual gifts is not just to gain spiritual strength for myself but to grow in spiritual support of others i mean i want you to think about it a lot like physical exertion right so if you look up on the big screen you see like you know some of us you're really into working out if you do a lot of squats then what happens to you is that you are able to gain a lot of 
physical strength, you're building up your legs, you're building up your core, and that's great. You personally are growing stronger. But what if the goal is different? Like it's more like a trust circle. Some of you have done this before. It's a very common youth group game where by leaning on each other, one person sitting on top of the other person in a complete circle, you're able to accomplish what seems difficult or maybe even impossible on our own. You're using your legs to support and encourage an entire group of people. And so instead of only gaining spiritual strength for yourself, what would it look like to grow in spiritual support of others? And I want you to be thinking about this morning, there are two very common ways that I think that we tend to get distracted from building up others. So number one is self-glorification. Whether you have a gift of prophecy or tongues, like Paul is talking about, whether you're gifted in teaching or worship leading, any gift or role where you have an audience or influence, the temptation is to focus on your performance. Oh, how did I do? Did I do well this morning? Did I do poorly? And so as you serve God, we want to ask ourselves, is my focus more on making a good impression or building a lasting foundation for other people? Self-glorification. Second place we get tripped up is not only self-glorification, but self-edification. See, often we value our personal growth and our personal relationship with God, and that's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. So if you're only using your gift of knowledge and wisdom so that you have a better devotional life, your gift of prayer to grow in your own walk with Jesus, but to the neglect of other people. In other words, you're using your gifts just for yourself, but not to bless others. And sometimes even when we are building up our own spiritual life to the criticism of others, because how come this person doesn't do what I do? Look at the way that I study and read the Bible and understand the Bible. This person isn't gifted the way that you are. And so we get consumed by self-glorification or self-edification. Now, it sounds like in this passage, like Paul is saying, well, some gifts are better than others, or some people who are serving are more valuable than others. But I want to propose to you that it's not about which spiritual gift you receive from the Lord, but your motivation of it and the application of it. Let's look at verse 6. Now, brothers, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, uh, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. So we see here in verse 6. Paul's talking about speaking in this unknown language isn't any benefit to anyone else unless it provides some kind of message of edification or revelation or application from God and his word into our lives. Otherwise, it's just noise. So think about this way. He talks about even lifeless instruments. When you use them to make a sound, the purpose is to convey some kind of meaning. In verse 7 and 8, 
You can have the most beautiful flute in the entire world. But if you're playing muddled notes, how will anyone know what the song is? Or if you're the sentry and you have eagle eye vision, you spot the enemy coming from miles away through their, their camouflage and you go to blow the warning bugle, but the sound is muffled, then how will anyone prepare for battle? And so his point in verse 9 is that it goes the same for the gift of tongues. That if you are speaking unintelligibly, how can anyone understand the message or the author who sent it? So in verse 10 and 11, he compares it to foreign languages. Every spoken dialect, it has meaning. But if the hearer cannot understand, then the two are unable to connect and communicate. Then you're just speaking into the air. It's aimless noise. In chapter 13, it's like a clanging gong. And so the same can happen with the gift of tongues when there is no one present with, bless you, another spiritual gift, a spiritual gift of interpretation. And so there's a spiritual gift where someone can understand and translate what the Holy Spirit is speaking for the church. And so in verse 12 and 13, Paul says, you Corinthians, you long for this. You want to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can if you'll strive to build up others in the body of Christ by clearly speaking the life-changing truth of Jesus and the gospel to people. And so the point here in this section is about clarity, speaking with clarity. Whether you have the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues with interpretation, the goal here is to communicate clearly, intelligibly, so that people know and grow in Jesus. Now, here's how it applies to most of us, because I would guess that most of us don't have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. But you can speak incoherently, obscuring Jesus and his truth for people. So some of us, we're consumed with thinking deep theological thoughts, and we read all these types of books. Maybe you're like me or like many pastors who have to read all these kinds of theology textbooks. And so that's wonderful if you gain this knowledge and wisdom and understanding from God. Yet, if you talk merely intellectually or incomprehensibly for other people, what benefit is it to other people if they don't hear or experience Jesus? Or you could be the most generous and sacrificial person involved in community service. You come and help at our after-school program with our kids, Tuesday through Thursday. You come and deliver groceries every month through Bridging Grace. You are involved in every single neighborhood outreach at our church. But if you're not speaking Jesus to people, every person you reach just sees you as another social service instead of a savior. You understand? And so... Sometimes it's all these things that can distract the clarity of our message. And the question you want to ask yourself is, as you are serving God, as you are employing your gifts for the Lord, are people hearing Jesus or gibberish through your spiritual gifts, through your words, through your actions? And what would need to change for you to be able to communicate the life-changing truth and love of Christ more clearly? to people around you. Verse 13. 14, excuse me. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, 
How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I, Paul, thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. <clears throat> Excuse me. So here we go. In verse 14, here's another challenge about speaking in the gift of speaking in tongues, right? He's talking about as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us, to pray through us, you yourself may not actually understand the words that are being spoken. And so your thoughts become uninvolved or unfruitful, spiritually speaking. And so you may think, well, I don't have the gift of tongues. I don't know what that feels like. Yes, you do. Think about it this way. There's times when you and I were praying with a group of people and you're tired and you're distracted. And you start to ramble. You ever do that? You're praying with a group of people, but you're so tired and distracted. Thank you, God, uh, for this day and the color blue and uh, the food and hope that, you know, hope that the, the warriors... You start rambling and you're not fully present. You're not really paying attention to what you're saying to God. You're spiritually unfruitful. Your mind is just kind of... And so the solution, Paul says in verse 15, is when Paul himself prays and praises God in the spiritual gift of tongues... He does so internally, while at the same time praying and praising with his mind, intelligibly and externally, intentionally and externally, because as we gather together for worship and fellowship, it's not just about my own edification, but for those around me. Otherwise, verse 16, he says, if I'm giving thanks to God in my spirit, how will an outsider, now here's the term here, this, the word there literally means Someone without expertise, a non-expert. So it's someone who's uh, an ordinary person outside of their expertise, outside of the spiritual gifting of tongues. Somebody who doesn't have any experience with that. How can they be in agreement, pray in agreement with you, saying like, amen, to what you're saying, when they have no idea what in the world you're talking about, right? So in verse 17, Paul commands us to refrain from praying with the gift of tongues without the spiritual gift of interpretation present. Because... You may have this wonderful gift, and you may be climbing this mountaintop of praise to God, but you're not lifting up anyone else. You're not building up anyone else along with you. And verse 18 and 19, Paul's trying to show us, I'm not trying to put this gift down. In fact, I, Paul, probably use this gift more than any of the Corinthians. Yet when we gather together as a church, my preference is that I would have five intentional words of instruction from my mind to teach people more than 10,000 unintelligible words in the gift of tongues with my brain turned off. You understand? And so how that might apply to us is you may not struggle with having speaking gifts like the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, yet did you see Paul's point? Three times in this passage, he instructs us to do things, to use our mind, to use your mind when you pray, to use your mind when you're singing. And so his point is that we would be intentional with our words and our worship and our service, even when the Holy Spirit is leading you, even if the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, to be intentional with your mind. And so the point here is that we would build up others in the body of Christ by intentionally blessing them with Jesus in the gospel instead of disengaging mentally. You see the difference? Being blessing intentionally instead of disengaging mentally. Because 
It's so easy, even for those of us who don't have those specific gifts, to check out mentally in ministry. So some of you serve as hospitality team on Sunday mornings, but you're kind of given a script. You come, it would be easy for you to just, just greet visitors with your verbatim repeated script in the morning. It doesn't mean anything. You can come here and lead worship, but you get, you get too focused on the tasks or the technicals. It's easy for us to regurgitate Bible study questions or Bible lessons for those of us who teach and simply phone it in. Instead, what needs to happen is that you and I need to engage our minds to speak and serve and bless people with the intention and effort that they would know and grow in Jesus. And it's not just something that Paul would say applies to the gift of tongues or prophecy. So there was a Christian pediatrician. His name is uh, David Cerquera. And his wife was a Sunday school teacher of this seven-year-old girl named Sarah. And as a second grader, this girl was full of energy and beaming with naughtiness, and everyone at church adores her. I'm sure you can picture some of the church kids in our church that are similar to that. And so David's wife was preparing a Sunday school lesson for her class with Sarah in it, where she was trying to teach them how everyone can be useful in serving God, and that doing so is worthy of honor. The kids were quietly soaking up this lesson, and as it ended, there was kind of a moment of silence. Surprisingly, right? In a kid's, seven-year-old kid's class, the second graders. And then Sarah kind of interrupted it. Well, what can I do? I don't have the spiritual gifts. I don't know how to do anything useful. So his wife kind of looks around, sees an empty vase on a windowsill. It would be useful if you bring in a flower to put in that vase. And I know some of you are thinking, like, <laughs> she's just trying to find random things for this kid to do. So Sarah also was thinking along those lines, second grader, smart kid, and she started to frown. That's not important. And here's what her, her teacher said to her. It is, if you're intentional doing it, engaging your mind to help someone experience Jesus because of your service. So next Sunday, Sarah comes and she brought a dandelion. Can you see the, the vase up on the picture? And she started doing this week after week without anyone helping her to do it, without anyone reminding her to do it, she's intentionally making sure that that vase is going to be filled with bright yellow flowers every single Sunday so that people experience the joy and the presence of Jesus in some way. And in fact, uh, David's wife told the pastor about this little girl's faithfulness. And so the pastor took that vase and started placing it in the main sanctuary right next to the pulpit every Sunday. In fact, he gave, he gave a sermon that week about serving others and use Sarah and her vase as an example for the congregation. And everybody was happy about it. Everybody liked that. Unfortunately, that same week, Dr. David got a call from Sarah's mother. He, she was worried. My daughter has less energy than usual. She seems to have no appetite. And so as a, her pediatrician, he ran a battery of tests on her, took her through several days' worth of exams, and then sat numb in his office trying to prepare himself to give them the bad news that the seven-year-old girl had leukemia attacking her small body. And at this point, because of her genetics and because of the disease, there's nothing that could be done to save her. Seven years old. Over time, she was eventually confined to her bed. She had lost a lot of her weight, lost that beautiful, sunshiny smile of her. And at one point, the doctor had to tell the family, you need to know that the end is near. 
Then that same Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching and just kind of suddenly stopped towards the end of his sermon, just staring at the back of the sanctuary. Everyone is like, what is this? <laughs> he interrupted, like, what happened to this pastor? Did he have a glitch? Everyone turns around, look at the back, and who's strolling in the back? Sarah. Actually, not strolling. Her parents were carrying her in, bringing her for one last visit, bundled up in a blanket, her body kind of reduced to pretty small size, holding a dandelion in her little hand. Slowly, they let her walk up to the front by herself where that vase was still perched to be able to put flour in it one last time. And she also put a little paper beside it. And I want to say to you, that little girl, if anyone has a reason to check out from serving God, why should I serve God? Look at the disease that I have to face. Look at how short my lifespan is. Look at how miserable I feel. But instead, instead, she is intentionally speaking a clear message to the entire congregation through this tiny act of service. That I love and value and worship Jesus. That he is worth serving him and blessing people despite the tremendous pain that she's going through. Four days later, Sarah died. And after the funeral, the pastor pulls Dr. David aside and hands him that little piece of paper that Sarah had left next to the vase. He said, you, you, need to, you ought to have this. You're going to need it. And so David, he opens up this crumpled piece of paper and reads, in, written in pink crayon in a second grader's handwriting, Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life. Sarah. Whatever circumstances, whatever pain, whatever burnout you've been going through recently, may you learn to love and value and serve Jesus the way that Sarah did. It is not something that you and I can come to church and do on autopilot. May you be intentional in how we think and speak and serve people with Jesus because it is a great honor. So let me ask you, as you serve God, do you feel like you're just going through the motions, just completing a task, just checking boxes on a list, but really checking out with your heart? And what can you and I do to be more intentional about blessing other people by wanting to point them towards Jesus? Paul ends this section writing, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign for, uh, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enters, enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really amongst you. 
It's weird. If you're reading the passage carefully, Paul says one thing about how tongues are for unbelievers, and then says how it's worthless for unbelievers, and then how prophecy is for believers, but then how he uses it to talk about unbelievers. So let's unpack this last part of the passage. Verse 20, he reminds us, you know, uh, these Corinthians who think they're so spiritual, elevating their gift of tongues, and, and at the same time being so cosmopolitan in the city of Corinth, um, they think that they, they really are wise and wor- in worldly ways. And he says, you know, in verse 20, be innocent about evil. You don't need to make yourself the cool, hip, urban Christian. Um, that's not what's godly, even though you may think it makes you more relatable. Be innocent about evil, but instead be experienced, be mature in understanding how do we serve God and how do we serve people with the gift that he has given us, particularly with this gift of tongues. And verse 21, he's going to quote from the Old Testament this prophetic uh, passage from Isaiah chapter 28. And the reason why he reads it to them is because it's a time when God's people were rejecting and refusing to listen to his straightforward prophetic declarations through Isaiah. So somebody exercising the gift of prophecy, directly speaking to the people of, of Israel, and there God's people rejecting and refusing to listen to it. And so it says in that passage instead that God speaks in, now through an incomprehensible language, the Assyrians, who they don't know, they, a foreign, foreign invading force, who conquers them as a sign of judgment. Not listening to prophecy, incomprehensible language, sign of judgment on Israel. Catch those pieces. So in verse 22, he says, in the same way, the gift of tongues is a sign for non-believers. It's a sign of judgment in some ways. That those who will ultimately reject Jesus, who refuse to listen, will receive no more revelation from God. Instead, it will all become incomprehensible to them, like speaking in tongues to them. But prophecy The proclamation of God's truth is a sign for those who ultimately receive and believe Jesus because you're willing to hear God, trust God, and respond to him. You see how that works? So it's about ultimate things. That tongues, yes, it builds up the church, but it's also a sign of judgment for those who don't believe in God because it's a symbol of not listening to God, not understanding God, not bothering to hear him. And so... The point here is that by itself, the gift of tongues is a sign that only reinforces your unbelief. Verse 23, if someone unacquainted with spiritual gifts, unacquainted with Jesus, walks into your church and the entire congregation was suddenly speaking in the gift of tongues, they're going to come to the conclusion, this is a cult. (laughs) Dudes here are out of their minds speaking gibberish, and I don't speak crazy. And so they'll just walk on out of here. But if you want people to be saved by Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, Paul says, be a church where believers intelligibly proclaim prophetic truth from the word of God because it'll pierce people's hearts when we're proclaiming things to people about we are sinners, but Jesus is savior. Jesus dies for our sin and rises for our salvation. And that affects every area of our lives, which will convict people powerfully cause us to fall before him humbly, declaring that God is real and that God is really here amongst us. Have you ever experienced that for yourself? The way that Paul describes in verse 24 and 25. And so what we learn here is that these spiritual gifts, they're not just for Christians. They're also to be used on mission for the gospel to build up others missionally by making Jesus, his truth, and his life accessible 
to visitors who do not yet know Jesus. And so when we gather together for worship and for our growth groups, and there's someone new, someone who's not a Christian that joins us, do they have any idea what in the world you're talking about? Even apart from the spiritual gift of tongues, are you using obscure Christian knees without interpretation into everyday language? I was on sabbatical, I think in, what year was that, 2018? I think 2018. I took a sabbatical about four years ago. And one of my goals during my sabbatical was I would go and visit various churches to hear their, you know, just to experience what different worship services are like, how other people organize their churches and hopefully learn something. I went to this one church, and you know, I never tell people I'm a pastor. I just go and sit in the back, just like some of you guys do. And uh, the reason why is so I can blend in. You think I don't know. Pastors know why you're sitting in the back, okay? Uh, I sat in the back, and I'm watching, and, and I struck up a conversation with another person. There, I was like, hey, like, you know, like, what, what, what does this church do? This? And the person's like, I don't know. This is my first time here, too. And so I got to talking with them, and it turned out that they were not uh, a follower of Jesus yet. Um, they just felt kind of like they wanted to explore and get to know things about Jesus. And so I was, I was like, I didn't, I didn't lie. I didn't say me, too. I didn't say I wasn't <laughs> someone who was not a Christian. I didn't say I was a pastor for sure. So anyways, sitting next to this guy, and uh, this is be all before the service, because when do new people come to church? Early. <laughs> when, do, when do most church members come to church? <laughs> okay, that's my guilty kind of pastoral like, condemnation for the day. So anyways, I'm sitting next to this guy, and you know, we're both early, and then uh, finally a church member came in and noticed the two of us and starting, uh, started talking to the other guy first. And his question for him was like, um, have you ever been washed clean by the blood of the lamb? <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy's face, and this guy was like, uh, what he said was like, no, thank you. <laughs> and, but I could tell from his face, he's like, what, what in the world do you mean by that, right? And so, you know, uh, afterwards, like, uh, the, you know, guy, the, the guy left, and I was like trying to explain to this other guy, I'm not, I'm not even the pastor, I'm trying to explain to this guy what, what he meant by that. But I want to ask you, do you make hearing from God plain and accessible when you talk to people who are new or not yet believers? You see, and it's not just how we talk, sometimes it's even the things within us, the character that we display for others that can obscure the gospel. Because you can be the most gifted worship leader. You can be the most gifted in leadership, in prayer, in teaching. But we obscure the gospel because of our attitude or our anger because of our priorities, or even our pocketbook, well, that speaks to other people of a different Lord of our lives more than Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? And I think that Paul, he's talking about what it looks like, first of all, to not obscure the gospel, not obscure pointing people towards Jesus. And so I want to leave you with this. How are you using your God-given gifts? And let's wrap it up with a short self-evaluation. Uh, many of you know Pastor Francis Chan, famous uh, Asian American pastor. He tweeted a couple of years back, um, as you commit and connect into the body of Christ, he asked, I know you can't see it from where some of you are sitting, if everyone pray, uh, gave like you, served like you, prayed exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered? Or would it be weak and listless? I want you to think about that for yourself for a moment. Most people cannot see what your life is like outside of church. But if everybody gave like you, served exactly like you, 
had a prayer life exactly like you, would the church be healthy and empowered? And so as we love and serve Jesus by loving and serving people, what are you building? And are you building in the right direction? If your gifts and your life are only being poured into your own growth and your own gain, your own spiritual condition and recognition, then probably you're more like those persimmon homes that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, building inwards and backwards. And instead, we need to be clear about building people upwards in the body of Christ, using our gifts so that we all together can hear and know and experience Jesus and the gospel. That's the goal. And so from Paul this morning, we're reminded, are you being clear about communicating Jesus to people? Are you being intentional with your mind about blessing people with Jesus? Are you being missional about making Jesus and the gospel accessible to new people? May we be the kind of church that takes the gifts God has given us and builds up something incredible, something more powerful, something more beautiful than we could do on our own. But let's do it together. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible, precious love of Christ that saves us, that redeems us, that makes us people who, though we were once lost, were found by you, though we were once broken, we're continuously being healed by you. Though we turn away from you, you can use people like us to help turn others towards you. So this morning, we ask that you would really examine our hearts. <laughs> that this isn't just a passage about spiritual gifts. It's about what are we building as a church, with our lives, with our gifts. Would you help us to look beyond ourselves? May we join that little seven-year-old girl who is already in heaven with you forever and be able to say that as we employ our gifts in ways great and small, that taking our vases and serving you with them have been the biggest honor of our lives. Would you speak to us and convict us of ways that we need to center our lives more <coughs> around loving and serving Jesus, by loving and serving others with clarity, with intention, with love, with the gospel. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus.